Chapter Four of The Adventures of an Ugly Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Adventures of an Ugly Girl by Elizabeth Burgoyne Corbett. Chapter Four. There will be no wedding today. That night I went to bed, hoping to the last that Belle would relent and say a kindly word to me. After all, she was the only sister I had, and I would have been thankful to have been reconciled with her. But she was as implacable as ever, and never uttered one kindly word to me amid all the congratulations of others. Although Lady Elizabeth had, I know, remonstrated with her on her unsisterly behavior. My father did not care to interfere in the matter especially as his sympathies were all in favor of his eldest daughter. I was up betimes, for we were to be at the church at ten o'clock. I had been sorely exercised about the choice of a wedding dress, as I feared that white would make me look more hideous than usual. But Lady Elizabeth had persuaded me to have a creamy satin, and somehow, as I surveyed myself in the glass, I was not quite so dissatisfied with the result as I had expected to be. The freckles had found the London atmosphere uncongenial, and had departed, I fervently hoped, forever. My complexion, too, had changed from a muddy hue to a clear, dark olive, which, though far from being satisfactory, was a considerable improvement on its former condition. My hair, thanks to the skillful treatment of Lady Elizabeth's maid, had grown much thicker and looked rather nice than otherwise. But in spite of these improvements, I was still an ugly, insignificant-looking slip of a girl, and I lost myself in wonderment at the thought of such great good fortune coming to me. There were to be no bridesmaids, only a few personal friends having been invited to church, though there was to be a reception at the house afterward. Belle had at first declared her intention of refusing to accompany us to the church, but perhaps the thought that she would, by holding herself aloof, betray to the world at large how deeply chagrined she was, induced her to alter her mind. Still, when I saw her in the hall just before we started, I could not account for her unusual appearance. She was positively livid, and shook every now and then in the strangest manner. Both my father and Lady Elizabeth conceived the idea that she must be ill, but she assured them that there was nothing the matter with her. But of course one feels a little excited at seeing one's sister so suddenly raised to splendor, she said, with a side glance at me which displayed so curious a mixture of fear and hatred that I lost all my good spirits, and was driven to church in an unaccountable state of nervousness and trepidation, which was increased when I saw that the bridegroom and Lord Egreville, who was to officiate as best man, were not here first, according to arrangement. "'I am surprised they are not here yet,' whispered Lady Elizabeth. "'Never mind, dear, they are sure to come soon.' "'So I thought, too.' but for the life of me I could not hinder the tears which came to ease my head and my heart, both of which were in a state of painful tension. By and by I looked up to see Belle's eyes fixed upon me once more. But what had wrought a change in her again? Her expression was no longer one of fear, but of victory. The hatred was there yet, and that did not surprise me. But how to account for the unmistakable triumph which I had seen manifest itself on her face for a moment? Like a flash, her words recurred to me. I tell you, it shall not be. I will not have it. Sooner than endure such a humiliation, I would... Ah, what would she do? What had she done? I asked myself anxiously. 
something decisive something disastrous to me i knew or her face would not have worn that momentary impress of a purpose accomplished somehow through all the weary waiting that followed my powers of observation and deduction seemed strung to their highest pitch i noticed that as the moments dragged on without bringing the two gentlemen lady elizabeth and my father grew momentarily more anxious i also noticed that bell no longer looked expectantly toward the door as everyone else kept doing but that she bore all the appearance of one whose desires were accomplished at last unable to bear the suspense any longer my father rose from his seat and whispering to lady elizabeth that he was going to the earl's temporary town residence to ascertain the cause of the strange delay he left the church without further preamble my acutely attuned ears shortly afterward hearing the rattling of his cab wheels down the street lady elizabeth who sat next to me put a caressing hand upon my own and whispered do not look so frightened child i do not suppose they will be long in coming now they will never come was my reply intended only for my comforter's ears they will never come something dreadful has happened and bell knows it see how calm and self-satisfied she is now remember the state she was in before she came she vowed that my marriage would not take place she has made her vow come true lady elizabeth cast a startled glance at bell but had no time to comment upon my words for at this moment we heard an excited hubbub near the door and marvel the earl's valet came down the aisle with a face which advertised bad news will your ladyship please leave the church as quickly as you can he said to my stepmother and take the bride with you there will be no wedding today for god's sake tell me what is the matter she exclaimed something dreadful has happened to my father an accident has occurred to him said marvel with an attempt to speak as if it were nothing serious but his voice broke in the endeavor and he sobbed forth oh my poor master it is too dreadful what is the matter with him cried lady elizabeth fairly shaking the man in the intensity of her excitement and dread tell me at once when i heard marvel's reply i neither shrieked nor fainted for i had felt sure that he would say what he did he is dead he said and my eyes flaming and accusing now at once sought bells flashing my conviction of her guilt in her face under that glance she reeled as if from a blow i hardly know what else happened that morning i went home as in a dream feeling somehow more sorry for lady elizabeth than for myself and wondering if they would hang bell when it was discovered that she had murdered the earl for my mind refused to disabuse itself of a conviction of her guilt although reason pointed to the conclusion that it was impossible for her to have injured the earl seeing that she had not seen him or spoken to him for twenty hours the wedding guests returned to their own homes there to discuss the sensational interruption to what some of them had voted the most sensational wedding of the season my father reached home soon after we did and confirmed marvel's story in every detail the earl of greatlands had been found by marvel who had grown alarmed when he did not rise at eight o'clock lying in ghastly rigidity in the bed which he had sought some hours earlier in apparently unusually buoyant health and spirits a glance convinced marvel that life was quite extinct and a moment later he was rousing the household with shouts and cries of course everybody came rushing up to the earl's room and of course several doctors were summoned at once but it was only too patent from the very first that there was no hope and though there was much loud lamentation on the part of the servants and quite a touching display of sorrow on the part of lord egreville or rather the new earl of greatlands it was not of the slightest avail 
and the fiat speedily went forth to the world that lionel ninth earl of greatlands being in an unusually excited state owing to his prospective marriage had succumbed to unsuspected heart disease nearly all the world accepted this explanation of the tragic event which had at one blow deprived me of husband wealth title position and influence and had converted lord agreville into the peer he longed to be but not for one moment did i believe that the doctors had given anything like a true diagnosis of the cause of the late earl's death there is a fashion in everything even in matters of life and death and nowadays it seems to be an epidemical fashion with medical men to ascribe every sudden death of which they do not understand the cause to unsuspected heart disease the explanation is plausible and in all likelihood more often than not correct although there is a strong element of guesswork about it post-mortem examinations are horrible and unpleasant contingencies to contemplate and the feelings of relatives and friends are apt to be cruelly wounded by the bare mention of such a dernier resort of course it would have been extremely painful for all parties concerned if an inquest over the remains of the earl of greatland had been suggested but i never doubted for one instant that such a course would have resulted in the discovery of foul play such as only i and one other as subsequent events proved suspected suspected do i say it was no mere suspicion with me it was a firm and rooted conviction that nothing but absolute proof to the contrary could ever dispel and that proof since no one broached the advisability of an inquest was not likely to be afforded me no doubt there was some considerable marvel in some people's minds concerning my manner in bearing the sudden reverse of fortune which had befallen me but their opinion troubled me little and was not likely that i would occupy the minds of sensation-mongers long after i had been relegated to my former status of insignificant obscurity tears did not often come to relieve the aching weight which oppressed me as i pondered in what perhaps struck those who were unable to gauge my real feelings as a hard and defiant mood how could they tell however that the grief i felt for the loss of the man who had loved me outweighed my regret for my lost glories since i let very few words of sorrow escape me indeed i dare not indulge in comments with any one for i feared lest the horror and loathing which i now felt for my sister and her fiance should break the bounds in which i had resolved for the time being to entrammel them and overflow in a torrent of bitter denunciation and invective i should imagine that there are few girls of stronger passions for love or for hatred than myself and i sometimes caught myself wondering how i managed to refrain from publicly denouncing those whom i firmly believed to be the deliberate murderers of my dear old earl for i hated them with a hatred that was consuming in its wild intensity yes my hatred was of fearful force but i was swayed by an even stronger passion which held it at bay this was my love for lady elizabeth the first being who since my mother died had opened her heart to me and who was now prostrated by a nervous attack due to grief at the loss of her father between whom and herself the strongest sympathy had always existed she had of late admitted me largely into her confidence and i had gained so much knowledge of her nature that i knew what a bitter blow such family disgrace would be to her as would overtake us all were my convictions shared by others for my father's sake i would not have repressed my wild longing for vengeance for lady elizabeth's sake i could have submitted to make an even greater sacrifice but even my great love for her could not induce me to hold friendly intercourse with bell or to withhold the fierce glances of accusation under which the new earl of greatlands writhed in impotent rage 
he saw that i suspected evil doing of some sort on his part and he resented my glances at first by frowns of defiance but somehow when i continued to maintain steadfastly the antagonistic attitude i had assumed he grew manifestly uneasy and even went so far as to presume to address words of sympathy to me which implied that he imagined me to cherish animosity against him merely because he was occupying the place of the man who was to have been my husband and suggested that he hoped i would no longer hold aloof from him and bell as if i thought they had done me an injury to this misjudged attempt to induce me to bury the hatchet i vouchsafed no response but a cold stare of contempt and a curl of the lip which spoke volumes indeed so potent was this mute answer of mine that the earl almost ceased to visit our house and my father was informed by bell that my violence and ill manners had succeeded in depriving her to a great extent of her lover's society dora said my affectionate parent to me one morning after breakfast i am sorry to observe that you have lapsed into your former ill-conditioned state of selfish ill-breeding i have made all due allowance for the disappointment you must have felt at being prevented from becoming the great lady you expected to be but i have noticed with growing displeasure that you are venting your spleen in an unjustifiable manner upon bell certainly she is going to occupy the position you thought would be yours but she is doing you no personal injury thereby for your chances are irrevocably gone and she was engaged to the present earl of greatlands before the marriage between yourself and his father was arranged it is therefore abominable that you should try to make her life miserable by driving her lover from the house and doing your best to produce an estrangement between them and if you continue your present behavior i shall insist upon your going to live at the grange until we are ready to leave london lady elizabeth was too ill to come downstairs and was therefore not present during this harangue otherwise it would probably have not been made for even in things that wholly and solely concerned me my father was wont to show that consideration for his wife who loved me that he would never have displayed toward me for my own sake and he treated me with tolerable politeness when in her presence but when she was not there he showed the same unbounded partiality for bell and the same lack of sympathy for me which had always distinguished our intercourse in the past and it is not surprising that my lately acquired self-reliance prompted me to retort that i was best aware of the motives of my conduct that bell was not likely to lose her lover through me since their destiny would henceforth be ruled by the promptings of an evil conscience you miserable little wretch exclaimed my father how dare you speak to me in that tone and how dare you cast innuendos against bell and cyril which virtually amount to an accusation an accusation of what sir I asked with a calm deliberateness which surprised even myself and caused my father to stagger as if he had received a blow and indeed he had received such a blow as is to be hoped falls to the lot of few fathers for my looks and manner more than my words had struck him with the sudden conviction that his favorite child was suspected of having at least been accessory to a mortal crime that the suspicion emanated from the brain of another of his children mattered little to him for he already disliked me too intensely to feel any heart-pangs on my account it was quite sufficient however to cause him to cast aside the last shred of conventionality as regarded his treatment of myself what transpired during the next five minutes i prefer not to relate there are events in the lifetime of most people which possess either too sacred or too painful an interest for discussion with others the memory of my last interview with my father awakes in me no emotion but that of resentment at the constant injustice with which he had always treated me and which culminated on this occasion in my expulsion from his house 
perhaps he thought that i would not take him at his word and that at the end of the hour which he had named as the limit of time he would allow me in which to pack up my belongings and rid my family of my presence i would weepingly sue for mercy and promise to be polite and conciliatory to bell and the earl of greatlands the mere supposition that i whose passions were of the strongest could thus do violence to my feelings and acknowledge the superiority of two people whom i hated and despised with all my heart for the sake of retaining a home in which i could never hope to be happy again still serves to excite my indignation and to provoke me to a feeling of resentment which i would fain repudiate in my calmer moments for after all my father poor man was blinded by his partiality for bell and although we fully grasped the deadly import of my unspoken suspicions he never for a moment doubted his beautiful darling's goodness but accepted my attitude merely as a convincing proof of the monstrosity of nature of one to whom had been denied that outward fairness which in his eyes was equal to the strongest proof of inward purity thus i sometimes reason in attempted palliation of his harshness to me but somehow my reasoning has an awkward knack of doubling upon itself and transforming my would-be kindlier leanings into the old embittered resentment my preparations for departure were soon made although as yet my brain was in too great a turmoil to permit me to make a definite plan for my future guidance i must remove myself and my belongings quickly and i must take my leave of lady elizabeth without permitting her to be pained by a knowledge of the permanent nature of the estrangement between myself and my family the latter was a difficult feat for me to perform but i succeeded in going through the interview in a manner which it pleased me to recall during my subsequent sufferings for my dear stepmother was spared the pain which would have been hers if she had realized the anguish of mind which my love for her caused me to hide i found her in her dressing-room reclining on a couch which was drawn up to the fire the day being somewhat chilly for the time of year i noted with a sudden foreboding dread the change which the last few weeks had wrought in lady elizabeth's appearance she was paler thinner and altogether much more fragile looking than when a short time ago she had assisted me to select a trousseau for my own marriage with her father there was however a light in her eyes which had until lately been a stranger to them and which had caused me considerable uneasiness for it gave me the impression that it had its origin in a feeling deeper even than the grief which an affectionate daughter would naturally feel at the loss of a beloved parent could it be that oh no perish the thought why should she be tortured by such suspicions as had fixed their scorpion fangs in my brain she could scarcely be so fully convinced of bell's capacity for evil as i was since she had never known her until the glamour of her artfulness and beauty was such as to cause nearly every one who knew her to take a fancy to her nor had she such deep reason to distrust one of her own mother's children as was the case with me some hidden sorrow was sapping her life's strength but i fervently and sincerely pray that it might not be the hideous phantom of suspicion which was bidding fair to wreck my own life i have come to say good-bye for a time i said speaking with wonderful quietness for one whose brain was in a whirl of stormy emotion as you know things are not as pleasant as they might be between bell and myself and father and i have agreed that it will be best for me to return to the grange for a while the change will do me good but i shall be grieved to part from you but my dear we are all going to the grange shortly said lady elizabeth casting upon me a look of anxious scrutiny come here kneel beside me and tell me all about this sudden arrangement have bell and you been quarrelling bell and i have not been quarrelling i answered as i dropped on my knees beside the only woman in the world who loved me and stroked her white hand between my much less shapely ones 
but you may have noticed that whether rightly or wrongly i cannot feel happy in her presence the earl your brother too seems to be kept away from the house through the antagonism which he and i feel for each other i feel as if it were wicked to dislike any one nearly related to you but indeed i cannot help it so you must forgive me and let me go from you now with nothing but the kindest and most loving words from you for believe me i am more sorely in need of your sympathy than ever i was and could not bear to think of an estrangement between you and me dory i have learned to love you and i know that you are not likely to form violent antipathies without a cause i also feel convinced that your treatment of of my brother is dictated by the strongest feelings on your part the nature of that feeling must remain unknown to me for i dread confirmation of certain thoughts which fill my days and nights with terror even should you prove to be actually unjust to my brother it will make no difference between us but if you are really leaving town before the rest of us do you must promise me one thing i will promise anything to you i know your willingness to serve me and i think i can gauge your love for me but i am about to exact a great proof of both listen all my life i have yielded to the dictates of family pride i've been proud of my ancient lineage and unsullied family escutcheon so proud indeed that i did not hesitate to ally myself with one who had once been one of the humblest sons of the people i never dreamed of the possibility of my being lowered to his family level by marrying him but was sure that the prestige of my own connections would overshadow the possible vulgarity of his antecedents in marrying a wealthy commoner of whose personal worthiness i felt thoroughly convinced i hoped to be able to assist my family to a financial position more commensurate with their social status than the aristocratic impecuniosity which had been our lot for many years owing to the extravagance of my grandfather who had mortgaged the greater part of the estate my expectations were fully justified my husband was kind and generous and whatever my original failings toward him may have been i can truthfully say that his upright nature won my complete loyalty and respect i was certainly disappointed to find myself comparatively poor after his death but i have had time to think the matter over since then and believe that the people to whom he left the bulk of his money must have needed it more than i did i see that you wonder why i am telling you all this i assure you i have a strong enough motive for i want you to realize that i would sacrifice everything to the honor of my family love happiness even life itself this being the case can you picture how terrible it would be to me to see even the shadow of public disgrace fall upon our name that you have ample provocation for a certain course of conduct which would materially affect the interests of my brother and of your sister i know i also know that you return the love i bear you let that love outweigh the resentment you feel at the conduct of others if you are not declined to spare them for god's sake spare me the anguish which a disclosure of your of your suspicions would cause me you are leaving us for a time i implore you to have mercy upon an ancient name by the time lady elizabeth had got thus far she was sobbing in uncontrollable excitement and clung to me with convulsive apprehension as for me i was filled with grief at this disclosure of the suffering which my dear one was undergoing i could no longer doubt that she shared all my own painful suspicions and that to her distressed state of mind her recent physical prostration was attributable and i was stabbed by the remorseful thought that i had been the one to originate the dread suspicions which were doing so much mischief was it too late to undo the mischief could i hope to remove the terrible burden of dread which oppressed lady elizabeth it was doubtful 
but there was too much at stake to warrant hesitation on my part, and my course of conduct was instantaneously mapped out. Mother, I said, as quietly as my emotion would permit, I cannot pretend not to understand the meaning of what you have just said. But, oh, my dear, how could you think I meant all that I implied to you on that terrible morning, when I was beside myself with anxiety and grief? Put away such thoughts from your mind. It is the misfortune, not the fault, of Cyril and Bell, that all the circumstances attending recent events have seemed as if specially guided for their interests. But even if I, who am so great a loser by their advancement, can say that my first suspicions were unjustifiable and wicked, surely you can no longer think them capable of a crime too atrocious for even ready-dyed criminals to think of. Lady Elizabeth suddenly raised her head, and literally gasped with mingled relief and amazement. "'Is it possible,' she cried, "'that I have been tormenting myself needlessly? That I have foully wronged Cyril and Bell? That I have mistaken your dislike to them for a stronger sentiment? That of a thirst for justifiable revenge for a deadly injury?' "'Quite possible.' think our dear old earl could not have been expected to live very much longer he was happy so happy that he was naturally excited excitement is not good for weakly old people and the skilful doctors who were summoned were sure to be able to judge the real cause of death you cannot tell how much i regret having given audible expression to a cruel suspicion but you can do as i have done and repudiate it do you repudiate it most certainly i do thank god for that you have lifted a nightmare from my mind. Do you know that the promise I wished to exact from you was that you would at least spare me the suffering which a denunciation of my brother Cyril would cause me? A denunciation? Ah, well, I don't like him. I never shall like him. But as there is nothing to denounce, I can safely promise you, nay, swear to you, that never, so long as you live, will I, by word or deed, do aught that can injure any member of your family, or in any way jeopardize its good name. You swear this? I swear it. You have given me a new lease of life, my darling, and by the time we join you at the Grange you will see me almost as vigorous as ever. I hope so, but I must be off now, or I shall not be ready when the cab comes round for me. Goodbye. Goodbye, my dear. I hope the change will do you good. You, too, have been drooping lately. I suppose I have, but country air will work wonders, eh? Another minute, and I had hurried out of Lady Elizabeth's room with breaking heart and whirling brain. Should I ever see her again? To what had I pledged myself? I had, for her sake, forsworn all my dreams of punishing those whom I firmly believed to be the murderers of the Earl of Greatlands. Certainly I had never intended to invoke the vengeance of the law upon them, for I also had some regard to the maintenance of the esteem in which the two families were held by the world at large. But I had meant to elucidate, by some means, the extent of their culpability, and to show them up to their relatives in all their hideous criminality, leaving them to continue their career stripped of the misplaced love and confidence that had hitherto been so charily bestowed upon me. Surely this was but a feeble ideal of the punishment due to a great crime which had deprived me of everything that made my life worth living. But I was now bereft of even this small satisfaction, for I had, for the sake of Lady Elizabeth, pledged myself to do nothing that would reflect discredit upon her family. I had even gone so far as to repudiate all my suspicions, and so long as she lived I must do nothing to reawaken the terrors which had been tormenting her of late. 
does any one doubt that i found this sacrifice of my personal inclinations very hard to bear or that it was not a real sacrifice to leave my enemies to gloat unrestrainedly at the success of their evil plotting or do they imagine that the feelings i harbored were unjustifiable if so let them imagine themselves in my position let them picture all that i had lost and suffered and contrast my lot with what would have been my condition had the earl's life not terminated when it did true i had as yet not the slightest practical evidence to support my opinion of the culpability of the new earl and his fiancée but as my personal conviction never admitted the slightest doubt on that score i found its virtual abandonment all the harder to bear though nothing would now make me disregard lady elizabeth's wishes and this i mention not for the sake of demonstrating my powers of self-sacrifice but to show how gratefully i reciprocated the kindness of my stepmother and to show how my heart hungered for love since the lavishment of a little of it upon me had power to arouse in me a feeling so passionate as to be almost akin to worship and now i was about to leave probably forever the one being who cared for me small wonder that the hard feelings which had hitherto enabled me to keep my composure should break down and that the quick tears of utter lonesomeness should chase each other down my pale cheeks as i hurriedly gathered my belongings together and began to pack them in the substantial trunks which had been provided by lady elizabeth to hold the trousseau with which her loving liberality had provided me excuse me miss dora but my lady has sent me to see if i can be of any use to you you are packing everything up then pray let me do it for you i looked up through my tears and saw agnes my stepmother's maid standing ready to relieve me of my task she was in such evident sympathy with me that at sight of her kindly face my last shred of composure left me and i wept in such an abandonment of grief as only a feeling of utter desolation can produce agnes was frightened at the violence of my emotion and did her best to console me but i presently became calmer and thanking her for the trouble she was taking gladly availed myself of her help in packing my boxes i felt no hesitation in taking everything that belonged to me for all i had worth having was due to the generosity of lady elizabeth or of her father to my own father i owed nothing of which i was now possessed the last item of the unbecoming garments which he had so grudgingly bestowed upon me having disappeared long ago in another half hour i was ready to go and a few moments later the cab for which i had sent was at the door as i stepped into it i glanced at the upper windows of the house which was no longer a home for me i saw lady elizabeth who had come to her window to wave me a smiling good-bye evidently no one had yet told her that i was permanently banished from my father's house i smiled and kissed my hand to her resolved that her last glimpse of me should be as pleasant as possible then my eyes sought the level of the drawing-room windows to see what my sister standing there by the side of the earl of greatlands both of them displaying the greatest delight at my departure and both of them casting contemptuous glances of triumph on a poor homeless girl whose presence near them was a continual reproach but their malevolence did not get all the satisfaction it sought for my glance wandered swiftly upward again and rested on my stepmother's smiling face until i was driven out of sight altogether with such apparent unconsciousness of their presence that they could not know i had seen them and thus i entered upon the battle of life on my own account End of chapter four